Welcome back to Deja Vu, the show where we talk about new releases and the classic movies that influence them. My name is Sydney Brumfield, and I'm joined by co-host Rachel Weinberg for our last episode in the mini-series on the genre of science fiction. It's been such an enjoyable ride, but today we have reached our final film, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I'm really excited. It's crazy that we've done five of these already. I know. So this film picks up roughly 10 years after the first film in the series, The Terminator. Terminator 2 Judgment Day follows Sarah Connor as she fights to change the future and protect her 10-year-old son from the latest advancement in Terminator technology with the help from an unexpected ally. So this film was directed by James Cameron, written by James Cameron and William Wisher. This film stars the famous Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, Edward Furlong as John Connor, Robert Patrick as T-1000, Earl Bowen as Dr. Silberman, and Joe Morton as Miles Dyson. This is a really interesting cast because I think that everyone knows Arnold Schwarzenegger, and if you're a fan of the Terminator franchise, you know Linda Hamilton, but um, all of these actors put out such great performances, and I know we're going to get into all of the, the three major characters, but I, I wanted to just give some love to Robert Patrick as T-1000, because I think throughout the series, if you're a Terminator fan or an action fan, you know what the T-1000 is, but his performance in this movie is really great, because I think we're also going to talk about later the fact that in the beginning, you don't know if he's a hero or the villain, like, we only know the Terminator as being the man who's the villain who's setting out to kill. And in this case, because he still has more human expression than I think Arnold does, which Arnold does grow in this movie, you aren't really sure if like he's going to be the guy who's saving um, Sarah Connor and John. But then whenever he finally gets into that first interaction with the Terminator, you see that he's the bad guy, but he has these these great little moments where he doesn't really blink and he talks really matter-of-factly, but he still is like humanoid enough to have that human perception. And I could only imagine how hard that would be to do. So I just wanted to say like, good job, Robert Patrick. And he really did a phenomenal job. I think like looking back on it, it's really chilling to watch him interact with John uh, Connor's foster parents because they mentioned that another man had come to the house earlier. Should that worry them? And then him dressed as like the do good, like police officer, like they, they really play into how you really think he's going to be the one saving John Connor. No, I wouldn't worry about him. Thanks for your cooperation. And that's so sinister when you realize where the film's going to go. So I definitely think you're right in wanting to highlight his performance. It really tied the whole thing together. Yeah, and even whenever you, and I don't know who plays his foster mom, but whenever the Terminator calls because he wants to talk to his parents, and you we're realizing that he, he killed them both, but the way that that actress was able to kind of speak in the same mannerisms a little bit while he was still like morphing into her as him I thought that character was really well defined for a villain absolutely and just diving into these other characters 
because as much as I think this film is very plot driven and like action driven and all these high speed like chase sequences, I do think they are very compelling characters. So just diving into the Terminator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's so hard to imagine him starting out because especially for both of our lifetimes, he's just been so present in the media in movies like action genre as well as comedy I know I remember being younger and watching kindergarten cop with him in it and he's just so funny in that to then be governor of California but I would argue that you know this series is what enabled him to be like this movie star for sure he started as a bodybuilder he got the role of Terminator because he looked the part right and then he came up with all didn't come up with but performed I'll be back in a way that everyone knows what that is even if you haven't seen Terminator and I think that this is like the quintessential Arnold Schwarzenegger role and it's something that he continues to portray even today in his 70s like he's still playing the Terminator so obviously he cares about the role as well but I just think it's so crazy how he went from like getting big to in Austria to like escaping the Nazis to like coming into Hollywood doing Predator doing Terminator and then being in like twins with Danny DeVito like what a career (laughs) truly and I really enjoyed his performance in this I mean just watching from the first Terminator to this one I think he grows astronomically in his ability to act because I think in this film he managed to be this rigid mechanical cyborg that we know and associate him with from the Terminator but then also forms this really meaningful connection with John Connor and I think this film gives great insight into his range that we will see in like his later films throughout his career. Yeah I think I like this I think we're going to disagree I like this movie more than the original Terminator. And I think the reason I like it more is because it does what a good sequel should do and it really subverses your idea of who these characters are. And that happens with both Sarah Connor and the Terminator. But I feel like in that movie he was so stoic because he was, he is a machine. But in this movie, he really is brought to life by John. And there's this sweetness to their relationship that comes full arc when in the end he sacrifices himself against John's wishes, which he wasn't programmed to do. So I I really like his portrayal of this movie. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, there are so many great lines that he has in this film also. I love they take the line from the first film and it's just iconic. The Come with me if you want to live. And then just his interactions with John Connor. He almost has like this youthful element to him because he's learning. And I thought that was really sweet to be able to capture. Yeah, I loved this. I feel like when they redid, like, I'll be... They, he didn't redo I'll Be Back, but, like, Hasta La Vista and um, Come With Me If You Want to Live, it didn't feel, like, forced the way that I feel like a lot of, like, 90s movies that are sequels have that forced, let's re-deliver, like, oh my gosh, we did it again in Home Alone. Um, <laughs> but I really love the moment where he asks John why he's crying, like, what's wrong with his eyes. It's such a good... It shows his perceptiveness to emotion, which I really, really loved. And I think 
Edward Furlong's performance and John Connor is really important in being able to have those exchanges with the character of John Connor. Uh, This was Furlong's first project ever. He was approached by a casting agent who was just looking for a young actor to play John Connor in Terminator 2. And I truly think Furlong did a great job. He really is just a kid living life in California. (laughs) But, you know, I can't help but feel bad because when you look up and research about this film his performance is almost so covered up with like what would happen to Furlong later in life when he's thrown into this Hollywood career. I think it's really sad because he really does make you feel like you're just watching a child. He wasn't pushing the story along. He wasn't just there to be cute. Like he had range and he was kind of like a little brat at points too, which like I love when children in movies are not just like picture perfect. But I also feel really bad for him. I think like you're going from being so hot in the 90s from doing this to Pet Cemetery to um, American History X and then he gets to Dark Fate in 2019 and this is the best Terminator movie and because of his like addiction issues and his weight gain was told initially cast and then said actually we just want to CGI you because we don't want your face and like it just made me feel really bad and then they like killed him off in the first scene but I just, I feel like a lot of these 90s, 80s kid actors, they go on these really heavy film streaks where they're playing these like complicated roles and then they hit their 20s and they're emotionally like messed up and then their careers just die. It's just really sad. Absolutely. This is a really complex role for any child to undertake. I mean, he has the emotional weight of his mother being in a mental like a mental hospital trying to save her he doesn't have any sort of like emotional connection really with her until halfway through the scene so it, the character of John Connor is really portraying a lot of the emotions cuz he's surrounded by Sarah Connor who is battling with knowing that the world is going to end like humanity has a, an expiration date and then two robots so i feel like a lot of the emotional weight of this film is resting on this child actor's performance. Yeah, and I mean, and the the relationship between John and Sarah is really complex because when they're finally reconnected, she's just, like, very, like, distant towards him, yelling at him. And finally, when they have that moment of connection, it's when he's consoling her. So I couldn't imagine being 12 years old and... Like, without the glitz and the glamour of an action movie, having to understand and process this. Right, and then the other phenomenal... I think it's also an emotional taxing role of Sarah Connor. Linda Hamilton's performance in this, I absolutely loved. I watched the first film in the series, The Terminator, and then watched The Terminator 2 Judgment Day, kind of like a double feature in preparation for this episode. And I think the immense growth and coming into herself that the character of Sarah Connor undergoes from like the beginning of this franchise, where we we first see her, to where we see her at the beginning of this film is absolutely incredible. And it's something that they have to try and like capture in this film in just a couple of minutes, like how how much she has gone through and how much we have missed kind of because there's a 10 year gap in the, the story. But even in this film, like, she keeps growing and hasn't. For sure. When Linda Hamilton's running away from the Terminator in the mental institution, thinking that, like, he's coming to kill her again, her acting was just so good there. Like, definitely better than her first portrayal of this in the first movie. So a lot of growth 
for Linda Hamilton. Right, and I I remember I audibly gasped watching this film when we see her working out. It's the first time we see her, and she's under undergone this immense physical transformation as Sarah Connor. We see her doing pull-ups on the side of her bed, and just her arms are huge. And I appreciate that they did this and they have this physical transformation because I think it goes hand in hand with what Sarah Connor has had to come to terms with, like this emotional transformation. You know, she's known for 10 years now that a nuclear war is coming and that the only way humanity or even a shred of humanity has a chance to survive is if she trains her son. And I think having her undergo this physical transformation is like really important to make that feel authentic. Yeah, for sure. Like, honestly, Linda Hamilton's arms are like unlike anything I've ever seen on a human and even like in her 60s like in 2019 when Dark Fate came out her arms insane like Linda Hamilton's such a badass man like so cool but yeah like I think this movie really shows growth in her character not only physically but emotionally and now that you've watched the first one like she gives the same speech that Reese gives in Terminator 1 in the beginning when she's on the VHS and usually you would be like annoyed because oh you're just rehashing these but the fact that her delivery was just like so intense with it and then whenever she realizes watching it back that she has to change her game say like I don't believe in it it's over I thought it was a really good addition to this movie like it does all of these characters are really great at just like growing upon what happened previously, which does not continue to happen in the franchise, but it's good that it happens between these two movies. Exactly. And I, for one, just kind of in the context of all of action films, because I do think this is definitely more on the action side of science fiction than just strictly science fiction, but I really appreciate seeing Sarah Connor be so unapologetically masculine, I would argue, because I think in a lot of even action movies being made within the last five years, we see these very like feminine, skinny female actresses lift huge artillery or machinery or propel down walls. And it just like, it doesn't add up because physically like they would not be able to do that. But Sarah Connor looks like a woman who is ready to defend herself and save humanity. And like, I, I would follow her to the end of the world probably. (laughs) For sure. Like I, I trust Sarah Connor with anything, but I think that like, yeah, there's a lot of the time in these action movies that you're picking these like beautiful model women who are very very frail but very stunning like and there's nothing wrong with that um but I I really appreciate that when James Cameron was doing the casting in these movies like really went after someone who wasn't afraid to like get get ripped and um I think that, like, I think Linda Hamilton had her own, like, bodybuilding thing, if I'm remembering correctly, at some point. Like, I think she was doing, like, VHS tapes or something. I might be wrong, but I thought that she also was, like, really into it. And she obviously has kept it up into her 60s. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I'd watch those VHS tapes if I wanted to get ripped. I think looking back on some of the other characters that we have studied throughout this series, there's so many similarities between Sigourney Weaver's character of Ripley and Alien and Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And I just, I love to see the strong female representation in these films, the unapologetic taking charge of a scene. It's just, it's so wonderful for me to watch personally. Yeah, and what I love about both of them is that they're really smart. Like, they're not just strong. They're, like, not just ready to survive. Like, they're, like, really smart women. And I think it's really funny that James Cameron got to play a role in both of their 
Sarah Connor and Ripley's, like, mythos and how they grew as characters. Yeah, transitioning into James Cameron, the first film in this series was really, I think, the film that set up Cameron to have this massive film career that we see now. I didn't know this, but he didn't attend any technical film school before making this film. And, you know, he forged his own career by writing content for him to direct, which is like a path that some people take. But I do think it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, James Cameron's, I don't like James Cameron. I really dislike him. But he has, he was like, from all of the accounts that I've read about him as someone who really cares about his craft. And I know that um, he's worked with like John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. And he was like a seeing for them just like trying to build his way up into the industry, which I have respect for. Yeah, Cameron, like a majority of the filmmakers we have discussed during this miniseries, you know, doesn't have a great record. On set of the 2009 film Avatar, apparently there were reports of if like a crew member's phone would ring on set, he would like nail gun it to a wall. Uh, he is notorious for being obsessive and I, I we've both voiced that this is just like an appalling way to run a set and it's just sad to read about yeah i think that i hate james cameron more than i hate any of the other men on this list that we've done i just really am disgusted by him um i think that i also don't like a majority of his movies i don't think that they're that great um He's racist, he's sexist, and he's um, pretty bad. And I loved when, it was like when Me Too was coming out, he wrote this op-ed about how, like, it was some character and she couldn't be a strong woman because she showed too much skin. And how he writes a bunch of strong women and they, like, don't do that. Whenever, like, Ripley had, like, been showing skin and, like, Sarah Connor shows some skin and not to even talk about the women of Avatar, like, just very, very, like, messed up. Also, Avatar's a terrible movie. Made me throw up whenever I saw it in theaters. Got me really sick. I don't like any of it. I'm sorry, did, did Terminator, the Terminator not have a very graphic sex scene in it, in which his female character showed a lot of skin? Did that, did that not happen? That doesn't count because he did it? Yeah, I think it's, like, it doesn't count because he did it, which is why, um, And it was right around when Me Too comes up, which is why I think that, like, what what you're going to talk about next is so funny. Because he just really, he really thought he did something, but like usual, the man missed. Yeah, and that's fair. I I do like to, like, I have such a complicated relationship, I think, with just, like, cancel culture as a whole. Just because my personal belief is that, like, it limits a society from progressing if you just like shut people down for like being wrong or doing wrong things and yes there's clearly like a line and a border with that but it did make me feel better to read that in a a 2017 interview with Hadley Freeman for The Guardian he said that he has realized that it's good to have a good movie at the end of a job but it's not the most important thing and that the working environment is very important so I like to try and remain hopeful that maybe his sets are not as toxic as they used to be, but I I still think it's important to bring up that he has done some really shitty things in in his uh, career. I I agree with you. I also think, though, it's because he was getting a lot of flack in 2017 from Mm. his woman comments, 
and that might be why he was trying to like save face um because like for me he can say whatever he wants in interviews but until like people are coming out and saying you know who I love to work with James Cameron he has a healthy working environment I'm like still not gonna trust him you know but I'm glad that hopefully his perspective is changing yeah no I think that's valid always keep horrible people at an arm's length I think is a safe rule of thumb as I mentioned earlier I came into watching this film having only really seen the first Terminator and you and I kind of disagree on this which is great but the I love the first Terminator so much I can't explain why it just maybe it's just because when I saw it younger it was one of the first real action kind of a little bit of like a romantic plotline movie that I had ever seen and I just thought it was so entertaining but because of how much I loved the first film my expectations were pretty low and maybe I was also kind of slightly confused as to why this made it onto the American Film Institute's top 10 science fiction films of all time and the the biggest component that I can see like pushing this to be on that list is the huge initial twist in this film where the Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was not the one out to kill John Connor but that it was T-1000 like I audibly gasped I thought that was an amazing writing I think you come into this with the assumption that Schwarzenegger's Terminator is ultimately like the killing machine, the bad guy. I mean, in his initial biker gang sequence, they play the song Bad to the Bone. Like they really lean into the audience's expectations. And I thought that they subverted that so well. Like I I really do want to give them props because I was not expecting it in the slightest. Yeah, I, I like this movie more than the first one. I think that it kind of builds upon it better. Um, I, I maybe it's because I like the idea of of Arnold Schwarzenegger being a good guy than being a bad guy too. But I also I love that initial twist when he has the flowers and then he ends up like doing Guns and Roses quite literally. But I think like man, like I think Robert Patrick's portrayal of the T one thousand is so good because of that twist and you like really think he's gonna be the person who's like out to save them. Um, because when he, when he enters, you don't know that he's a Terminator, you know, like, he punches the guy out, and you think, oh, like, he just stole his clothes, not that, like, oh, he, like, morphed and killed him, and when Arnold's introduced in this one, which I love the bad to the bone sequence, I love how the women are, like, oh my god, like, look at him, and the men are kind of, like, what? But, like, again, like, you, it's, I think it does such a good job of just building upon them, I don't think that this should be on the list. I don't I don't think any of them should be on the list actually. Um I also don't think of this movie as a science fiction movie. Like I know that it is, but I think of it as like an action movie like so much so that I I don't know, like I don't really love either of these movies that much. I like them both, but yeah, it's really interesting that they chose Terminator 2 for this. Just really weird. Really weird. I was trying to play like devil's advocate watching this because I was like, okay, I guess the the science fiction element of this is that it has to do with possible like futuristic outcomes. And I couldn't even like rationalize like maybe it's the threat of nuclear war that makes it science fiction because I think that's just old Cold War fear like has spilled into like this series and really building off of that where I guess the time travel and like messing with your your future possibilities is really where this gets scientific but 
it it's not even in the same realm as Alien. It's not in the same realm as E.T. or 2001, like all the other films we've discussed. I feel like this is, in again, in my personal opinion, like barely classifiable as science fiction. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And when I was watching this again, I was like, man, I'm here for the car chases and the helicopter chases and the explosions. I'm not really here for, like, the nuclear threat dream sequence. I'm not really here for, like, the Terminator stuff. Like, I I wonder, outside of what the Terminators are and, like, the time travel stuff, if most people, when they watch this, they think, oh, this is a science fiction movie or, oh, this is an action movie. Because I feel like when I was talking to, like, my family and like my friends and like oh I'm gonna watch Terminator 2 they were like I thought you were doing a science fiction series so just really weird that it was on this list yeah absolutely and I would really like to I really tried looking up the rationale behind it and I guess maybe like the critical acclaim it got could have influenced it Terminator 2 Judgment Day won four Academy Awards for makeup sound sound effects editing and visual effects and it was also nominated for cinematography and film editing. So, like, maybe that's why. But even then, that doesn't necessarily rationalize why it would be science fiction. Yeah, I don't think the Academy stuff would be the thing that really makes it. But I do want to say, like, I know that you're not that into the CGI in this movie. But, like, I really like the mix of CGI and practical in this movie. And I think that the effects are just, like, amazing. Um... And Jeff Don, who's, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's guy, like, most movies that he's in, is he's doing the makeup for it. Um, and Stan Winston, who is, like, was, like, a, one of the best ever in makeup, who did, like, Alien, Jurassic Park, Edward Scissorhands, the Terminator movies, like, they did such an amazing job with the makeup. I love how, yeah, you have CGI that I think for 1991 is pretty darn good. Like, whenever he's coming up from the floor, the T-1000, and he's, like, in the floorboards, I think that looks still pretty good. Um, but I like that James Cameron, respect to this guy on effects, because he is, like, an effects man. That's where he, like, kind of really started. Um, he didn't use so much CGI that it began to get unrealistic. He still had those practical effects, and, like, every time the, like, Terminators get pulls through them or beaten like those are like real effects that like those makeup artists did and that like final part when they Arnold comes back and he shoots the T-1000 and he's like like this it looks like the thing it looks like something Rob Bottin would make just so good like I love the effects in this movie 100% should have won all of the technical awards that it got Probably I, I should be a lot more forgiving in how the CGI looks. You know, we are, a, like, a lot further along in the progression of CGI now. And I definitely think you're absolutely right in that this was great for the 90s. I just, it was so bad. I I love practical effects so much. And maybe that's why I just loved watching Arnold Schwarzenegger again in this role. Because I love the intermixing of you get to see, like, the cogs that are in him or when he has to show Dyson that he is from the future you know how he peels off his arm yeah it's so like uh, in your face and messy and I love that and then I think I was almost just had two unrealistic expectations for what a guy melting in and out of the floor would look like because that is I mean I don't even know how they go about doing that and I'm here critiquing it. So it's definitely very important in the progression of where we see CGI now. And 
you know what? It was great for the time. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, there are things that definitely, like, the end part when he's in the lava and he's melting that way doesn't look the best, but, like, low-key, there are, like, low-budget horror movies that have CGI that's the same as Terminator 2. Like, to, like there are some, like, low-budget movies out today, like, the last Saw movie that has CGI that looks like it's from 1991, and... I think, yeah, that arm thing, that arm thing's so cool, like, when he rips off the arm, and they could have so easily made just, like, a, like, CGI arm, but making a prosthetic, just, like, love it, love that part. Yeah, and I love, especially, like, like, pulling back to the first one, like, when his face will start to get shot up or beat up, like, how they intermix the the practical effects and like the prosthetics on him as he continues to act throughout the film like to show the wear and tear on the terminator i just think is so cool and it might have been bad but it's like when i realized that the t-1000 is made out of this liquid metal and the first time you see him morph like i did kind of chuckle because i was like oh man that's that's what the other terminator is (laughs) well i think the first movie only had a budget of like 6.5 million dollars to like this movie that has like helicopters driving under bridges like just the 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 change of scope in these two films is just insane just awesome yeah absolutely and I kind of found myself almost like I understood the amount of time production value that went into these action chase scenes but to me, it almost felt like it distracted from, like, the severity of what was really happening or, like, the plot points. Like, they felt like huge, big, fun distractions from, like, a viewing perspective rather than something that served a point. And I, I get it. It's an action movie. I really do think this is sci-fi, but, like, an action movie. And for me, it just, it was almost so hard to stay engaged with it because I was like, oh, how are they gonna blow up the Big Mac truck again this time? Like, like that callback to the first film. Yeah, I, I agree that it's definitely disjunctive when it's in the movie, but did you, I don't know if you, like, reread this whenever you were going through, but when the Mac truck, like, jumps down, all the cam ops said, like, they wouldn't record it, and James Cameron was like, F it, like, I'll record it, and brought his, like, did it with himself, where this car could have just, like, crushed him, so, like, I have respect for that, and I, like, even though, yeah, it doesn't help the story, but when that helicopter flies under that bridge, that's just, like, insane to me, that, like, they really did that, so it's definitely just for the spectacle of action, but I'm not mad at it, just because I love to watch that crazy stuff that you actually do. Yeah, they accomplished the spectacle part of this. I mean, they really had, I was reading, like, they had a stuntman jump onto a helicopter. Like, when the T-1000 is supposed to jump onto, like, the bottom and climb up and just throw the guy out, they had a stuntman jump onto the helicopter. Like, they did not (laughs) miss out on making action scenes, I think, as crazy as possible. Yeah, I I also love whenever he gets into the helicopter and he doesn't like physically push the man out. He just tells the man to jump and he does. Just like so funny to me. Like little things like that. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I can really see how I I do think maybe science fiction isn't the right word for it because we've already established that like this film barely verges on that. I think for both of us, but I think we can definitely see the impact of this film on action 
scenes and like action chases that were to follow i mean this is definitely like it looked like action sequences that i would have seen in one of the most recent fast and furious movies yeah and i would argue that like i think that they're better than the most recent fast and furious movies because they're real and tangible and i think i'm not like car chases make me anxious usually because it's so dangerous But there's, like, a good anxiousness when they're real drivers versus when it's a lot of CGI. So I I think this was very formative as to what the action movie would become. And that maybe it should have been put on the top 10 action movie list versus the top 10 science fiction list. Right. And playing devil's advocate a little bit again, like, trying to view this with the same lens that we viewed the other films in this series with... I really appreciated the last line as possibly playing into the social commentary part of science fiction where you can use this element of fiction as like a warning for society and where we are headed, where we could be going, where she's like, if there's hope for a Terminator to like care about humans enough, maybe there's hope for us to care enough about each other. And, you know, like, I thought it was said really well. And, you know, I I hope we as a society can continue to care about people. (laughs) Yeah, I like that, and I think that the messaging in this movie is kind of flip-floppy for me. Um, You have when John and the Terminator are sitting there and he's watching the kids with guns, he's like, all you guys do is shoot each other, that's what you are, like, you'll destroy yourselves, and then the next, like, sequence, he's just shooting a bunch of police officers, like, killing people, and then it kind of flips back and forth but I like that it ends where it ends because I know I watched the original ending where it's like Linda Hamilton's like old and has a granddaughter and she's sitting on a park bench while her granddaughter is playing telling them the story of the Terminator who is she talking to we don't know so I think this was a much better ending leaving it open than just you know like pushing it aside yeah I really think the messaging is pretty flip-floppy. I think it, it it depended on what dramatic statement Cameron wanted to make at the end of this scene is kind of how it was feeling towards, especially, like, the end of the second, like, beginning of the third act when uh, Sarah Connor goes in to kill Dyson and then can't do it. And that's, like, one of the big things where it's, like, what separates humanity from, like, the Terminator and the machines is that she can't take... Like, she can't make herself kill this at-the-moment innocent person, despite knowing, or in theory knowing, all the destruction that will come because of his studies and his research and, like, developing these advanced computers. I think, like, that's probably the most coherent message in all of it, but even then, like, that's a stretch. (laughs) Yeah, I think, though, I get what you're saying, and I think that they illuminate that pretty well whenever John's teaching Arnold not to kill and then he shoots the guy in the legs and he's like I told you not to kill and he's like he'll be fine like I I think I think it was really pushing for something but I don't think that it has the same thematic power as something like an alien or a 2001. Yes I definitely agree and it could be possible that maybe it's just because this film is almost a little bit disjunctive because of all the big action sequences that it strays away from like the possibility of this being a futuristic science fiction thing like it just it feels very rooted in today's world and like high speed pursuits and you know, beat 'em up shoot 'em up sort of mindset that it's it's almost hard for it to be taken as like a big societal 
flashing warning like other films that we've stu- like studied throughout the series. Yeah, and I don't think that that was what it set out to do either. Like, I, I, I don't think that it's supposed to be as introspective as 2001 or Alien, which is okay. Like, not all of these movies have to be. But then when you kind of just throw in little snippets of these deep thematic moments, that's why it kind of feels like it's underserved. But I think James Cameron did that in Aliens. Like, Aliens wasn't supposed to be as, like, much about those serious topics as Alien was. And it's whatever the director is looking for, it's their place to tell the story that they want to. So I wouldn't, like, knock it down for that, but I just don't think it was as successful. Absolutely. I think that... Terminator 2 Judgment Day is exactly what it wanted to be. Like, it's exactly what Cameron wanted it to be. And I think it accomplishes that really well, which I think kind of gets into, like, my personal rating of it. I would give this a 3 out of 5. You know, I like, I found it really enjoyable to watch. It was fun. But, again, to me, like, I'm comparing it to the first one, and even on a larger scale, comparing it to, like, the other films we've watched throughout this series, it... It was okay. You know, it was solid. It was good. And to me, like Sarah Connor and her arc and her performance, in addition to the utilization and manipulation of the audience's expectations in the the writing of this film are the best elements of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's a three out of five movie for me. I think it's definitely, I like it more than the first, but I don't love it. And I think maybe it's because I was trying to watch it this time through a science fiction perspective, but I kept on being distracted by all of the action elements. And, you know, this is the last episode of this mini-series on the genre of science fiction, and we've watched five films from the American Film Institute's top ten science fiction films of all time, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, Alien, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and now Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, looking back on everything we've talked about, is that throughout this lineup, there is such a wide range of science fiction. And it's so easy to see how each film was influenced by what came before it. Yeah, and I really appreciate that when you were picking the five movies on this list, you chose not all the same. I think I really appreciate how you had some silly ones, some actiony ones. Like, you did a really good job of taking five pretty different movies and allowing us to connect them. Um, well, thank you. I, I think of the discussions that we've had, my favorite episode was probably the episode we did on 2001 A Space Odyssey. I just loved being able to dive into that immensely complex film with you and maybe not emerge with any definite conclusions as to what's being said by it but it was just it was so enjoyable to toss around ideas with you what would be your favorite episode i think mine was probably our et discussion i thought that it was a nice cleanse after our alien one that was really serious and i really enjoyed getting into a movie that's made for kids but still enjoyable for adults and i think that our conversation on it was pretty like in depth towards themes and i don't know if it always gets that treatment Absolutely. And I think I was really lucky that I got to watch one of my favorite films for this series. Alien, I think, was my favorite film that I was really happy to be able to, like, revisit and watch again for this series. Did you have, like, a favorite film that we talked about? Yeah, for me, it's definitely Alien. I was wondering if you wanted to rank 
your movies, the five movies, Ooh. from favorite to least favorite? <laughs> I would like to do that. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think that Alien would definitely be my number one, followed by, I think, 2001 A Space Odyssey, then, oh, maybe, I don't want to do a tie, but probably E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Star Wars Episode Four, so close though, very close for me, and then the last one would be Terminator 2 Judgment Day, especially just in the context of science fiction, I think we both have talked about how it's very weird to throw that film onto this list. <laughs> uh, how about you, what would you rank? My ranking would be the same as yours, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I I really think that that's the that's a good ranking. Um, probably a little more of a gap between E.T. and Star Wars for me, but yeah, that was what I was thinking. Yeah, I found myself really enjoying E.T. more than I thought that I would, and I'm I'm really happy that we got a chance to talk about really all of these films. I mean, truly, just thank you, Rachel, for doing this series with me. It's been so fun and honestly one of the highlights of this spring semester for me. Oh no, thank you. You put so much work into this and these, you picked the movies, you picked the concept, you did such a good job like leading these discussions. I'm really excited to listen to you next semester and see what you have to say about movies. Thank you. I'm going to miss you. And thank all of you for listening to Deja Vu. This is the end of our science fiction series, but be sure to check out theithican.org for more interesting content. You can listen to any of the Ithacan podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at theithican.org.